Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. It is such an honor to be here. Um, as Pastor Scott shared with you, my wife and I have, um, have been, my wife and I, by the way, have been together 19 years. Um, y'all saw Lindsay right here in the front. Um, let me, let me introduce you real quick. I, even though I've been a part of the OSC family for 22 years and I'll share that story, just a little bit abbreviated version, um, but um, I, I'm, I'm so excited to be here. Lindsay and I actually came and were a part of the internship at uh, the Our Savior's Church Broussard 22 years ago, and that's when I met her. She fell in love with me first, and um, no, that's not how it happened. Um, but let me introduce you to our family just real quick. I know, uh, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm guests. I feel like I'm a family here. Come on, look at my family here. This is... This is a, I am a blessed man. I am a blessed man. I have three boys. Come on, somebody, don't pray for me, pray for my wife. I have three boys. Josiah is the oldest right there that, uh, that's right beside me. Next to my wife is Judah. And underneath that, at the very bottom, is Joel. Um, I'll share a little bit of Joel's story in just, in just a little bit. But Josiah is 17. Uh, man loves God. He feels called to ministry. Um, he's going into his senior year. Yeah. And I told him, are you sure? I mean, like, are you sure? And he's like, Dad, I feel like I'm called to this. And so we're preparing him right now for all that God has for him in a full-time ministry. Judah is my, he's my athlete. He's also my GQ boy. Anybody got kids that they, they, they do care about their, home being, their hair being combed? That's that boy right there. Other two, they can care less if they, I don't even know if they've seen a brush in years. This brother, man, he's got to be on point. He's always got the right shoes, always looks good. It's just how he is, man. And then, of course, Joel, our youngest, who is 12. So uh, three teenagers pretty much in our house. Uh, Lindsay and I love Wednesday nights because Wednesday nights they go to youth. That's our date night. Come on, somebody. I love, I love Wednesdays. They're all, they're all there. So I'm super blessed to have such an incredible family. And, of course, Lindsay and I have been here. Lindsay's from, originally from St. Martinville. I got me a St. Martinville girl. Come on, somebody. Um, hey, don't let, don't do her dirty though, because she'll pull out the DeVille on you. Um, I, uh, as I said, though, I've been here uh, in Louisiana for 22 years, but my history with our Savior's Church goes way back even further than that, because it starts with Pastor Jacob. My grandparents were here, uh, in Lafayette. Pastor Jacob was a traveling evangelist at that time traveling for, to different places. He was preaching at, at a church here in Lafayette that my grandparents happened to be at. And, um, and in that moment, sitting in a service just like this, my grandparents were sitting in there and the Lord spoke to my grandmother and said, uh, that guy that's on the stage, you need to ask him if he's got a place to stay. If he doesn't, you need to take him in. And, um, and so my grandfather looked at her and was like, you sure? <laughs> and, um, and so they went up to him after and said, hey, we just feel like God says, if you don't have a place to stay, our house is yours. Pastor Jacob, for the next two years, went and lived with my grandparents. Um, but this was before, of course, my mom and dad. Look, this is Pastor Jacob holding me. Yeah, right there. That's my grandmother right there on the left telling him, boy, you better act right. Um, nobody could put Pastor Jacob in his place like my grandmother. And, um, and so this is where it all began uh, many, many, many years ago. And uh, through that, Pastor Jacob, of course, this was before he was a pastor. It was just Jacob around our house. It was all our house all the time. And then in 20, uh, 2000, my father um, decided to go his own way and... Um, split up with my mom. Pastor Jacob called my mom and said, hey, I want you to tell Josh that his father's disobedience doesn't have to determine his destiny. And uh, that next month, I moved to Louisiana. I actually came for a summer camp, just like all the youth that just got back from summer camp. God radically did something in my heart at summer camp. What I didn't know was right in front of me, the row in front of me would be my future wife. Come on, somebody. So students, you don't know. I'm just letting you know. You don't know. Your spouse could have been in front of you. Um, 
And I ended up coming, came to the internship, was here for a year. Lindsay ended up joining up in the internship as well. And, uh, and then we got partnered with Pastor Bubba. Pastor Bubba got sent out of our Savior's Church, Broussard, to go plant uh, the Jennings Church. And so as a part of the internship, we went and were a part of that with him. And then coming to the end of my internship, Pastor Bubba was like, hey, we really need a youth pastor. Would you want to come on staff? And I was 18 years old at the time. Um, that was 22 years ago. So I'm, you can do the math. I'm now 40. And so I've been in Jennings for 22 years alongside Pastor Bubba. We now, we have three campuses ourselves in Jennings and in Eunice and in Crowley. And God has just done incredible things. 2019, Pastor Bubba um, officially handed over the church to Lindsay and I to take the senior pastor role. And yeah, we're really grateful for. And then COVID hit a couple months and I tried to give it back. Um, and he's like, ha, I got you. And so, um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of been a little bit of our journey. And, and for those that know Pastor Bubba, uh, last year, Pastor Bubba went on to glory to be with the Lord and um, won his final battle. And come on, how many know he has his full healing right now in the presence of the Lord? And I'm grateful for him. And so God's just doing incredible things. Thank you for all those who pray for our campus. Some of y'all didn't even maybe even know there was a campus there. You do now. Um, So we're there and and just grateful to be here. It's only taken me 22 years to finally get to to, uh, our Savior's Church over here, but I'm glad to be here and I'm excited to be here. I heard that this church loves the Bible. Is it true, Pastor Scott? Okay. Um, I heard y'all love the word. And so I, uh, I asked Pastor Scott, okay, what do you want me to preach? It's what you normally do, you know, as a guest speaker. Is there something specifically you'd like me to preach on? And he said, yeah, I would like you to preach in Acts, Acts 27. And so I said, oh, okay, all right. I thought he was just going to be like, whatever you want, man of God, you know, whatever you want to do. Which normally that's how it goes. You know, you just kind of say, hey, what do you want? And he's like, no worries. And then you pull out the best message you've ever done and you come and you preach it. And then he goes, no, preach Acts 27 I was like, you got it. I have never preached Acts 27 in 22 years. So I have never preached Acts 27 in 22 years. So Midtown, you're getting a fresh word this morning. This is hot off the press. I told you this man challenges me. And so, and then I went and read Acts 27. Now I have read it. Okay. Just want to let everybody know. Like, dear God, this guy doesn't even read. This is my second time to read it. Um, no, I'm joking. I have read it. I've just never preached on it. And then I went and, of course, read through and I'm like, this got 44 verses. This man has preached like 72 messages in Acts. And he gives me Acts 27. So we're going to get through uh, 44 verses today. Uh, are you ready? Like, I, I heard y'all can read passage of scripture all day long. And so today is, is, is going to be a fresh word. We're going to go through 44 verses. We might not read every one of them, but we're going to read a lot of them today. And uh, the, Luke is going to give us a detailed look into the Apostle Paul's final last voyage. This is his last one. Paul is a prisoner. And uh, if you don't know why he's a prisoner, just go back and listen to the last couple of messages and you'll get caught up real quickly. If you don't know, this church has been in the book of Acts for like seven years. Um, And so (laughs) we're coming to the end. I I told him I can do 28 too and I'll wrap it up for you. And he's like, no, I got that. So, okay, he started it. He gets to end it. Um, But uh, here we are. Paul is going to be put on a ship, you'll see, in just a minute. He's going to sail on his last voyage. Paul knew with great confidence that God had called him to Rome. He knew that. There's many uh, times, actually, in Acts where God confirms that. He was so excited to go to Rome. He was ready to get the gospel to Rome for all of these people in Romans because of the place of influence to see what the gospel would do and how it would spread ever. And he thought that he was going to go to Rome as a clergyman, not really realizing he was going to go to Rome as a convict. He's going to Rome as a convict. How many know God's plans often can look different than your plans? Anybody? Anybody had your five-year plan and God laughed? (laughs) God laughed at you. Yes, there are the purposes of God that he has for you, but how many know God's promises never fail, but God's plans rarely make sense? 
And if you look at your life as much as I look at my life, there are many times where I thought this was the plan. This is how it was going to play out. And God had different detours. God had different ways. But just because there's detours doesn't mean it's wrong. Sometimes God's got some other bigger things that he wants to do, and we see that today. So if you got your Bibles, go to Acts 27. We are in 27. We are going to read verses 1 through 15. I think they're going to put it on the screen for you. If you don't have your Bible, we've got our electric, electronic one up here on the screen for you. Um, but we're going to read this together, and it uh, is going to do this. So I want to do this just, just so we can just kind of keep it fresh. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Can we do that today? Just in honor of God's Word. We're going to read it. Together, and uh, I just want to encourage you in this. I'm what you call kind of a holla back preacher. I don't know, Pastor Scott's that way. I need you to holla back at me whenever it's good. Whenever you get something, you're like, "That's a word for me." I want you to say, "Uh huh, Amen, uh, Oh, ow, whatever that, whatever that looks like. Maybe if it's a word for your neighbor, go, "That's for you." Okay, that's that's a word for you. So let's do this. Here it goes. We're gonna read this together, and it says, "I want you to all read it with me." Okay, we're in the ESV version. If you want to know, and it says this. And when it was decided we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to the centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship on the Adramadium. What is that, Dr. Scott? Yeah, yeah. Let me just tell you how this works, by the way. If you ever come to a place like that where you don't know, just go fast. Just go fast. Adramadium. Okay, that's how that works. What's that? And with authority. Okay. Adramadium. Um... Listen, this is, I got the scholar right here, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia. We put to sea Julius, uh, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon and at Julius and Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for and putting out to the sea from there. We sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Can everybody say that with me? The winds, come on, say it one more time. The The winds were against us. Verse five. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the Cilicia uh, and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. Verse seven. We sailed slowly for a number of days. And what's those next three words? And what? Arrived with difficulty in Snidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete, Alpha Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which the city of Lycia, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchored and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But watch this, verse 14. But soon, a tempestuous wind. Everybody say that. Tempestuous. Come on, it's just a cool word to say. Tempestuous wind called the northeastern struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, We gave way to it and were driven along. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. God, we just thank you for your word, that it is timely. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates your word, makes it come alive, that you are the the truth bearer. And so I pray, God, that this morning for every person that is in this room, God, that as they hear your word, that it would go to work and do what it is set to accomplish to do today. God, give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. God, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would meet us here in this room, in this moment. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Notice, I don't know if you saw this, words in this passage of Scripture 
but I had to repeat some of them. The winds were against us. Difficulty, dangerous, tempestuous winds. I don't know about y'all, but over the last probably two and a half years, I feel like that is probably a great description of what it's been like. Dangerous, difficult, winds against us. Dangerous, difficult, winds against us. Over the last two and a half years, of course, as we've walked through COVID and then as we have walked through racial tensions and political turmoil and job losses and world wars and and so many different things that have, have come our way, mass shootings that have happened. Now you go to the gas prices and you're like, do I have a child or get gas? Which one is it? There's so many things that are going on. On top of that, add floods. On top of that, add hurricanes. I don't know about y'all, but it has just felt like a stormy, stormy couple of years. So many things that we feel like are against us. So many things we feel like are are, um, difficult and dangerous. All this stuff externally. Did my mic go out? Or am I still good? Okay, I'm still good. All right. So that's been really the last couple of years for many of us. Yet what I want to challenge us in is because oftentimes the biggest storms that we face are not external, though. I think they're internal. Would anybody agree here that even in the midst of all the external stuff that's going on, the storms on the inside actually have done more damage than the storms on the outside? The storms on the inside of what we've gone through. And you can be in here in church. And listen, I know how to get it. I was raised in church. I was born into church. I came out saying, Jesus. No, I didn't. But I was... I was in church. I was in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. I was in it all. And if there's anything, I've learned how to be a professional church attender. I know how to raise my hands at the right time. I know how to say the right things. I know all those kind of things. And church is really, really good at that. We can be really, really good on the outside. But the truth that I've found really quickly is that you can be good on the outside, but be destroyed on the inside. You can be struggling on the inside. You can sit in church and someone looks at you and goes, how are you? And you're like, blessed and highly favored. And you're, and then they look at your wife and like, "Mm -mm, nope, nope. We're broke, busted and disgusted. That's what's going on right now. And here we are in a moment, uh, the winds are against, there's difficulty, there's danger, there's all these things that are going on. And for many of us, this, this last two and a half years have, yes, been a lot of external storms that have gone on, but I think there's also been internal storms of discouragement. I've seen more people um, battling depression. You know, the, the, the medicine for depression has gone, has like tripled so much more. Doubt, fear, anxiety. Anybody felt that over the last couple of years? There's a couple of things that I want us to understand about storms we're going to see as we look throughout this chapter. And the first thing is this. And by the way, I hope you're a note taker. I'm, I'm an avid note taker. I encourage our church. Come on, I got any note takers in the house. Come on, note takers or history makers. Let's go. <clears throat> if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And that is that storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. How many know the storms come for the just and the unjust? Storms come no matter what. Paul was 100% in the will of God. And yet if you look at Paul's life. If you've been through this series, as Dr. Scott has been going through this all, you notice that Paul's life has not been easy. Everything in Paul's life seems like it's a storm to some degree. He's been up against something that's been difficult. I mean, I think if if Paul could describe his life, he could go, difficult, wins against me, everybody's after me. It's been hard, and yet this man has been ferociously loving Jesus, wants to preach the gospel. He is 100% in the will of God, and I need you to hear today, and you've probably heard it a hundred times from this stage, that if you love Jesus, you should still expect that storms are coming your way. Don't be surprised by it. It's still happening. And how many know, just like us who live in Louisiana, we live in Louisiana. There's people who don't live in Louisiana, and they ask me all the time, how can you stay in Louisiana? There's hurricanes coming your way. I said, yeah, I know. It's not a matter of if hurricanes come. It's usually just a matter of when. Is this right? It's just a matter of when. But yet we love this place because we love the food (laughs) and the people. Come on, somebody. Where else are you going to get booed in? Okay, like, let's go. Like, we're called here, but yet we just know that if I'm going to live here, that this is a part of living here. And the same is true as believers in Christ, that if you know if you're going to follow Jesus, just know storms are still going to come. Storms are coming your way. 
And one of the main reasons of, of why I see people lose faith in God is because of storms. Because they've bought into this lie that if I follow Jesus, I shouldn't face any storms. But the same has been true as well because I've seen more people come to Christ because of storms as well. Come on, how many of you, it wasn't until a storm hit your life that you realized Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is where it is. God doesn't promise a storm-free life. He just promises you a storm-proof one. He doesn't promise you a storm-free one. You're going to go through life pain. If we, we had time to sit down with each and every one of you, all of you would share different storms that you've coming through. And the truth is, some of you are in a storm right now. Some of you may just came out of a storm. Some of you, you're about to head into one. This past month for our family has been a really, really, really hard month. My, my oldest son got rear-ended, got his car totaled. Thankfully, God's hand was on them. It was God provided and God protected them. I'm so grateful for that. But, but, but then, like just a couple of weeks, that same son who was driving got kidney stones. And then after that, then my, my youngest son got COVID. And then after that, my middle son had his kneecap go over here. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so it's been just one of those, just been a hard, hard summer for our family. Yet in the middle of it all, God is still good. God is still working. And how many of you look back at some of the storms in your past that you didn't understand and you thought were destroying you, but now that you're in a different season, you look back at that storm and realize that didn't destroy you. Come on, somebody. That developed you. That developed you. It made you. Created something in you. Everybody's going to go through storms. Everybody's going to go through pains. Everybody's going to go through problems. The question is, are you going to profit from it or are you going to lose from it? You're going to go through storms. As I shared with you all just earlier, my, my father went off and did his own thing. My mom and I got a divorce. That storm, I thought at that moment, was just going to destroy my life. I didn't know how I was going to function. I did not realize that that storm, though, pushed me to come to Louisiana, which pushed me to go to an internship, which pushed me to, to get connected to Pastor Bubba, which brought me to Jennings, which then found my wife, which then found my calling. And if I wouldn't have had that storm, I wouldn't be here. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So I'm just telling you right now, be careful, because perspective is not just what you see, it's how you see and maybe in your middle of the storm, it's, it's crazy because you're in your middle of the storm, you're so disoriented and you're so, I mean, it's just you're all over the place. There's difficulty and dangers and our emotions are high and all that stuff that's going on. It's hard to see clearly. But just because you can't see clearly doesn't mean God can't see clearly. God knows what's happening. God is in the middle of all of this. And I want, I want us to catch up and look in verse 16. Because storms are not only just inevitable, storms are revealers. Storms are revealers. Look, at, look with me in verse 16. It says this, running under the lee of a small island called, Co Co how do you say that? Coda. All right, there we go. We managed with, come on, say it, with, I'm going to just keep y'all saying those words, to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on Syrtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along since we were violently storm-tossed. Oh, I love these words, right? No, we do not. They began the next day to jettison the cargo, meaning throwing the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. All of the furniture, all the tables, all the things, they, they start throwing even more stuff. So not only are they throwing cargo, now they're throwing all the, the bedding, the, just the different things that are in there within, within the boat with their own hands. Storms are revealers. They reveal to you and to I what you value. Storms will do this. Storms will show you what you value. Now you have to realize this, this is on, they're on a ship. And of course, when we read this in our Western context, we think, oh, they're on the ship, like a Mediterranean cruise, <laughs> like a Disney ocean liner. Like, no, 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 no. They were on an Egyptian ship. You notice they were in Alexander. They were on an Egyptian cargo ship that, that many believe they were, they were hauling grain across to Rome. And so here they are with grain. They're, they're in a grain ship. And, and so they're, they're throwing the grain, you'll find out in verses later, they're even throwing, they're throwing the grain over, they're throwing their cargo over. Well, what does all that represent? If you're a grain ship bringing grain from one place to Rome, you're bringing it there because that's your livelihood, right? Like that's how you get paid. 
Let me, let me put it in today's. They're throwing their paychecks overboard because they're going to get to Rome, but they're not going to make any money. And yet here we are in this moment. How many know money doesn't matter if you die? <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> kind of hard to spend money if you ain't here. So guess what? Storms in that moment go, money, life, money, life. Throw the money over. We can make more of this. I, I've, I've got to preserve this. And it doesn't matter in that. But storms have a way of reminding us of what matters. I, I personally love to do funerals more than I love to do weddings. And I, I know it seems like that's a bit weird. But here's, you with me? Yeah. Every pastor probably understands this. I mean, unless you just like going to weddings. I despise going to weddings. I, I, I only like to go into mine. That was the only one I like going to. And, um, but the reason I like going to funerals and I like doing funerals is because more people are open to hearing the gospel when their life has been shaken than when their life is good. Because when life is good, you don't need anything. You got everything that you need. But what happens when you lose what you thought you valued the most? What happens? What happens when the thing that you were holding on to that you thought would bring you satisfaction and fulfillment, what happens when you lose that? And for these people, they were throwing their livelihood overboard. And, and what they're doing is they're, they're revealing, yeah, life, life matters more. Life matters more. And, can I challenge all of us in this room? Because listen, you can make all the money in the world, but if you lose your family, come on, how many know money don't matter? Y'all with me? Money don't matter. If I lose my marriage to make money, it don't matter. If I lose my family to do this, it doesn't matter. Like these things matter and storms have a way of awakening us out of our stupor to go, what matters in this moment? And here we are, they're, they're throwing over what they thought matters to realize it really doesn't, which leads to verse 20. And it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was last abandoned. All hope of being saved was last abandoned. So just imagine with me for a moment, if we can just kind of uh, close our eyes and think about the experience of what's happening on. It's dark. There's torrential rain that's happening. There's winds that are happening. Boats are rocking. I don't know. How many of you have been on a cruise before? How many of you have been on like a, a cruise ship before? Okay. All right. How many of you have been just out fishing on a boat before? All right. Anything. Okay. So just imagine if you've been any of that at all. Just imagine all of a sudden it's pitch black. Imagine rain is coming on you. Imagine the boat is rocking like crazy. Imagine the waves that are crashing on top of it. Imagine the fact now you just threw all of your, most of your livelihood over. They're probably physically sick. Come on, anybody chumped waters before? <laughs> I mean, just like, oh God. So you're physically sick. You're emotionally exhausted. You can't see the stars, the sun, nothing and that's a big deal because maybe for us, we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. But that's not a big deal because you have GPS. Come on, somebody. And then even GPS sometimes will throw us off. But for them, they didn't have a GPS. They didn't have the compass. They didn't have, so they, they navigated by the stars and the sun and what was above them. And here they are, all of that is cut off from them. They have, it's the darkest of the moment. They can't see what's going on. They can just feel everything that's going on. Yet again, how many of you feel like that's been the last couple of years? Is it, what, what's happening? What's going on? It feels dark. I don't know. I just, I'm exhausted. And I want to throw up. And yet in that moment, it says that in the midst of all of this, they have utter abandonment. All hope is being lost. And that's because storms reveal what you trust. Storms reveal what you trust. You want to know what someone really trusts in? You want to know what they're really like? Listen and watch them as they go through a storm. It's easy to raise our hands and say God is good when the bank account is full and the kids are good and health is good, but come on, can you watch somebody? Can they say that when everything around them is shaking, when everything around them is dark, when everything around them looks like it's, it's what's going to happen? We can't put our hope in money because if we put our hope in money, what happens when the economy crashes? 
What happens if I lose my job? What if we put our hope in our spouse? Well, what what happens if they leave you? How about putting our hope in medicine for a cure? But what happens if it doesn't work? And often God will remove the things that we put our hope in to reveal that they are false hopes. And it is in God's loving grace that he removes these things from us to show you that that will never satisfy and that will never last. And so in his love and his grace, he removes these things from their life. And as the passengers are sinking in fear, Paul is rising in faith. Paul is in this moment because his hope was not in something. His hope was in someone. He wasn't holding on to the ship. He wasn't looking to the stars. He knew where his hope came from. And so when all, everybody's hope was sinking, Paul's hope was floating. Because his hope was not in something, it was in someone. And if your hope is ever in something, if you lose that something, you lose your hope. But come on, how many know if your hope is in someone who you can never lose, who's an anchor to your soul, doesn't matter what you go through, you can always hold on. You can always hold on. You can always hold on. I want you to see what it says in, in verse 21. Everybody still with me? We still good? Okay. Verse 21 says, since they had been without food for a long time, Come on, anybody ever heard of hangry? Come on, just point at them right now. If you know somebody who gets that way, just, just point at them right there. Just point at them right now if you know anybody. That's it right there. I just... <laughs> Pastor Dave, you get hangry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Lindsay gets that way too. She's not admit to, uh, she, she, she'll admit it. She knows it. I look at the boys. I, I'll, I'll come home some days and I just know it's just been one of those days and she'll walk outside. Like I came in and she walked out and the boys are like, what's going on? I'm like, just leave her alone. Just, 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 if you want to live, if you want to live, just stay out there and let her eat her, let her eat her bar. She's okay. All right. Let her, let her do it. And so here we are. Come on. Can we just get real for a moment? I think sometimes we don't get real in the scriptures. Like these people have not eaten for a while. Can you imagine like everybody's in a chipper mood? Let's go. Like they haven't eaten in a while. I'm not seeing anything. I'm wet. <laughs> I mean, let's just put the reality of the moment this is the reality of the moment. These, I mean, they're just, they're physically exhausted. They haven't eaten. They're emotionally exhausted. They're lost. They're confused. They have no hope. And it says, Paul stood up among them. And I love this because this is what happens with people who are filled with the Holy Spirit is that even though you're the captive, you become the captain. What does it look like to be people of the spirit that can step into our job when all the craziness is going on and we step up and go, hey, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. In this moment, Paul rises to this moment and he says, hey, men, <laughs> I love this. You should have listened to me, said no woman to her husband. All right. <clears throat> and not, <laughs> y'all know that to be true. Come on. And not, you should have listened to me. And not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injuries and loss. Yet now, and I love this because he doesn't just say that just to say, hey, put shame on you. But he says that just to remind him of, of the hope that he has and the confidence that he has and what he's speaking. He says, yet now, I urge you to do what? Come on, let's say it. To do what? To take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. We'll come back to that. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So, but we must run aground on some island. This is what Paul is really saying in this moment. Paul is saying, hey guys, we got, we got two options. Option number one is we can sit here and sink by reflecting on the bad decision that we made in our past. Or 
We can choose to trust that if we're still alive, God is giving us another opportunity to change the only thing that we can change, and that is our future. So we can sit back and somehow continue to relive the past, or we can redesign the future. The choice is up to you guys. And so many people are not having the ability to redesign their future because they're so focused on reliving their past. Hey, listen, everybody, shoulda, coulda, woulda, ain't gonna fix nothing. It's not. We can learn from our mistakes and gain wisdom, but how many know we can't live in our mistakes? When you live in your mistakes, that is the ploy of the enemy to keep you stuck in a place of pain, stuck in a, in a, in a bad decision, so you never move forward into the full destiny that God has for you. And are you glad that this is the gospel, by the way? This is the gospel that when God speaks to you from the shore, even if you don't listen to it, God will meet you in the storm and say, there's still a way out. There's still a way out. I don't know about y'all. Maybe some of y'all, you're always obedient. You always hear the voice of God. You always say yes to him. You always listen to wise counsel. But for those of us in here that are not polishing off our halos and have not been, that have been disobedient and haven't listened to God and have done our own way, I don't know about y'all, but I get great encouragement to know that God will still meet me in the middle of the storm, even if it was my decision to get into the storm, he'll meet me in the storm and it helped me get out of it. And that is the gospel, right? That what man got himself into, Jesus gets us out of. Jesus gets us out of it. God helps us out of these things. And here are these men, they wanted to go do their own thing. They didn't listen to Paul. They wanted to go do their own thing because, I mean, you know, sometimes we make decisions because we want fast over right. We want right now over right. And these guys wanted it right now. They didn't want to listen to Paul. We want this right now. And how many look back at decisions you made because you wanted it right now and you go, that was not a good decision. But how many are you grateful that God shows up even when you make the wrong one? And he's still faithful to get his, his plans and his purposes in the middle of it. And Paul says, guys, you should have listened to me. You should have listened. But yet, God is with us. God is with us. We're going to get through this. And we go to Acts 27. We're going to come back to that when I give some, some practical things out of this. But let's keep going in the text. It says, verse 27, and when the 14th night had come. What? Okay. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been on a boat. But about 30 minutes of this. I'd be done. <laughs> Truth? How many would be like, bring me to the shore? All right, one day, definitely I'd be done. Three days, I'd be figuring out something. 14 days? 14 days they had come. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, and they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. That's about, about 120 feet. And a little farther, they took another sounding again and found 15 fathoms, so it's about 90 feet. So we're getting closer to the shore, and fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down, what? Four anchors. We're going to come back to that says, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, I don't know about y'all, I'd be one of getting off this ship too. And they had lowered the ship's boats into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors with, from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men, tell me, what does it say? Come on, say it again. Come on, look at the person next to you and say exactly that. Stay in the ship. And unless these guys stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it go, let it go. <laughs> the boat is breaking apart. The boat is sinking. And Paul goes, hey, all the other guys are like, why didn't we think of this sooner? We've got lifeboats. Lower the lifeboats. And as the lifeboats are being lowered and guys are getting ready, who's going to be jumping off? There's 167 or so of them. All these guys are trying to figure out what's going on. Paul goes, hey, 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 hold up real quick. I forgot to tell y'all. Cut those. I'm going to cut you. What you talking about? <laughs> cut those. 
Like, this is our way. This boat is sinking. This boat is gone. And he says, no, no, if you want to live, you better stay on the boat. You better stay on the boat. You got to cut the cords. You got to cut it. And can I say this? I think this speaks to us spiritually because if, if we're all honest, if God doesn't show up, most of us have a plan B. Come on, somebody. Like we go, yeah, 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 God, I'm going for it. But we know that if that don't come, I still got this. And so what God is telling us through this text is that sometimes we can trust our lifeboats more than the lifeline. We can put our hope. Listen, how many know if you're going to serve Jesus, it's a 100% all. We got to go all in. We got to cut the ties. We got to cut the options. We've got to go. We've got to jump all in. Yet again, God was cutting away the false senses of safety and security. No, no, no. This is an all-in moment. He says, hey, listen, stay on the ship. Stay on the ship. How many of you know people that at one time were on fire for the Lord, but due to storms in their life, have bailed off the ship because they think that it's going down? They bailed out of the faith. But listen to me. Those who are faithful, stay on the ship. Because listen, if Jesus is on the ship, I'm staying on the ship. <laughs> if Jesus is on the water, I'm going on the water. But if Jesus is on the ship, I'm staying on the ship. And be careful going to some place that God's not. Because God says, I don't need those. We're going we're gonna to be good. Let's, let's cut away. And so they cut away. And verse 33 says, and as day was about to dawn, Paul argued, uh, urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I love this. I love this because Paul's remedy was not a spiritual remedy. It was a natural remedy. Hey, you just need to eat. And some of you that are so stressed out right now, if you're being honest, usually that's something that we don't do. We just don't eat. He says, hey, listen, you just need to eat, maybe take a nap. I mean, sometimes when you're just going through storms, you just need to get some rest. You just need to rest. You need to replenish. You need to eat. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And I'll say this, and then we're going to move on to some practical things here. But I love this because they took a moment, of course, as we know, we see this as a, as a sign of what Jesus did as well, of what the disciples did as well. They broke bread. They, they took that before each other. He gave thanks to the Lord. Now watch this. If you can give thanks to the Lord after the miracle, that's called Gratitude. But if you can give thanks to the Lord before the miracle, that's called faith. And some of us wait to give gratitude to the Lord until after he answers a prayer. But is that, do I have any people in the room that can give God praise before the miracle happens and trust that God is, how many know the miracle's on the way? And so he stops in a moment and gives God thanks. And they're still all around. And he gives God thanks in the moment they break bread, they eat together. And I want to skip down to 42, and we're going to wrap up. It says, the, pow- the, the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. And verse 43 says, but the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard now first and make it for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. So it was, everybody help me with this last one right here, that all were brought, all were brought safely to land. All right. I want to share with you four anchors that you've got to have if you're going through a storm. We saw that this, this, this passage earlier said that they dropped four anchors. They dropped four anchors. Those were actual physical anchors, of course, for the boat. But I think Paul had four anchors in him that allowed him to go through the storm. And I want to share what I believe those anchors to be and what I believe all of us need in this moment. Here are four anchors that you, you have to have if you're going to go through storms. Number one is the anchor of surrender. The anchor of surrender Notice Acts 27. Let's go back to verse 23. When, when he stands up and he talk, talks about how God visited him, an angel of God. It says, for this very night there stared before me an angel of God to whom I belong. 
to whom I belong. Now, by just by a show of hands, how many of you like to be in control? Come on, you're in church. Be honest here. How many like to be in control? Raise your hand. Okay. If you raise somebody else's hand, you really need to hear this message. Okay. I don't know about you. I love control. I like control. I like plans. I am a planner, as Pastor Scott said. I'm, I'm kind of that. I'm an administrator. I, I think kind of systematically with those things. I have certain things that are certain plans. Um, and, and so I tell people, like, I don't like control. I'm not controlling. I'm just aggressively helpful. Um, <laughs> come on, somebody. Any aggressively helpful people in here? Like, I, listen, I know you don't want my advice, but I'm going to give it anyways. Um, but you need to understand something about the fundamental message of the Bible. It's about a king and a kingdom. Jesus Christ was born a king. We don't make him a king. He was born a king. He was, he was a king before this world began. How many know he will be a king after this world is gone? He was never voted out of power. He, never, he wasn't voted into power, nor will he ever be th- th- dethroned. And a king owns everything. That's why we call him Lord. He is the Lord of our life. How many know what you need to do to a Lord? You need to surrender. Surrender means this, to yield to the power and control of another, to, get, to give up completely or agree to forego, to abandon or relinquish. And Paul was saying here to the angel of God, to whom I belong, to whom I belong. I want you to listen to me very closely. Surrender is not acknowledgement. Surrender is allegiance. Surrender is allegiance. I give my everything to him. You can't say, well, I'm 83% surrendered to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. No, no, no. You're either fully surrendered to him or you're not. You can't say, I trust God with my salvation. I just don't trust him with my kids. Yeah, I trust God to forgive me. I just don't trust that he can heal me. How many know if we are surrendered to the king, listen, 100% of us is given to him and you and I do not have the power to control. Have y'all learned that by the way? That you actually can't control things as much as you think you can? And oftentimes, how many know storms reveal that you're not as in control as you think? They weren't in control of this boat. It was going wherever the storm wanted to take them. And this is what happens oftentimes in life is we think that we're more in control, but a storm will come and reveal to us that you don't have as much power and control as you think you are. But watch this, watch this. You do have full control of surrender. To whom I belong, Jesus, my King, my Lord, my Savior, he is my God. And, and, and the apostle Paul said, I, he's, who's, he's who that is. I belong to him. The second anchor that he had in his life was the anchor of worship. Because he said, for this very night that stood before me, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I what? Whom I worship. Let's be all real, real honest here, okay? The last thing you want to do in a storm is worship. The last thing you want to do when you're exhausted, when you're emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, when you don't know what's going on, is to worship. And yet Paul says in this moment, this is the Lord in whom I worship. Because worship is not a depiction of my feelings. Worship is a declaration of my faith. Worship is a declaration of my faith. I don't know about y'all, but I don't praise God for the storm. But I do have the ability to praise God in the storm. That is my ability that is under my control and when you feel trapped by the enemy you need to worship when you feel like all hope is lost you need to worship when you feel like you're in despair you need to worship when you feel like you can't move anymore you need to worship you need to worship in everything that you're walking through because worship is a declaration that God you've got this worship is a declaration that I can't handle this but you can worship reminds us that my eyes are not on me my eyes are on you and you can do what I can't do This is what worship does in our lives, which by the way, worship is not, of course, just singing songs. Worship is how, it's our lifestyle. We we can work in worship. Come on, we can parent in worship. We can can work out in worship. Come on, we can eat in worship. Praise the Lord. But when I shift my focus from it, what I'm going through, to him, I'm I'm able to see that no matter what it is, it doesn't change who he is. Number three is the anchor of mission, the anchor of mission. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. How many of y'all know Jesus didn't just save you for you? He saved you for a purpose, for a mission. If he just saved you just so you could be with him in heaven, how many know he would save you, we would baptize you, we would hold you down to the bubble stop and then you just go be with Jesus? Come on, somebody. Got any parents in here that wanted to do that to your kids anyways? You're like, 
they love Jesus, they're professing Jesus. Jesus, you just take them now, all right? I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> That's why you should always be good to your parents before you get baptized. Um, just a little hint. I, uh, as y'all can tell, I, I wear glasses. Um, and I remember the, the first time I kind of started realizing that I couldn't see too well. And I went into the, the eye doctor. And, and, and listen, those eye doctors, man, they, they trick you. You know, they have you look into those little things. You're like, look, look, look. And all of a sudden, someone does. I'm like, what in the world? No warning, no nothing. Just, just blowing sweet nothings in my eyes. And here we are. And, I, 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 and, then, and then they put the little dilation thing that's in there. You know what I'm talking about? You're looking, you're looking at the letters, you know, A, B, A, B, E, B. You know, we did all that whole thing. And then the, 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 the doctor comes in and, and he says, hey, listen, I, I just want to let you know uh, you're nearsighted. And I was like, well, I just want to let you know you're wrong. I'm farsighted. He's like, no, 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 you're nearsighted. I said, no, 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 I want you to understand. I'm farsighted. I can't see things far. He says, no, that's called nearsighted. I said, that's stupid. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Like, that's, let's just be honest. Like, you broke your leg, and you're like, yeah, your arm's out of twisted. That doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? No, my arm's, my leg. Okay, so, but he, he, he let me know. No, 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 you're nearsighted, which means you can't see far. Farsighted means you can't see close. This is just kind of how it is. You can only see that. And, and can I say this? When we look at the church, I, I believe oftentimes we are also nearsighted to some degree. We can only see what's right here. We can't see far. We can only see right here. And Listen to me very closely. It's impossible to see anybody else in need when you're consumed with your own. And if there's anything that storms do, they make you so disoriented that you get so focused on you that you, 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 you forget, oh, wait, I'm a man on mission. I'm a woman on mission. It's not just about me. Maybe God's going through this. Maybe something's being allowed because God wants to use me in some way that I can't imagine, I can't realize. But listen, if I would open my eyes and look up, maybe there's someone right in front of me that God wants me to use. Hey, listen, right now, some of you have gone through the divorce and it was the most painful thing you've ever been through, but somebody may be sitting on your rows going through the same thing and they need you right now. They need, they need to see you and your story. How many know if you've been through some pain, if you've been through some storms, you've been through some problems, you've got a testimony because you're here. You're here. You're still on mission. And God was telling uh, Paul, man, you're going to stand before Caesar. I, I am telling you that. We see that in Acts 23 when he confirms that you're going to go and be a witness uh, here in Jerusalem, but you've got to preach the good news in Rome. So, hey, listen, be encouraged. If you're not dead, you're not done. God's got something for you. You are a man on mission. You're a man on mission. So listen, don't be discouraged if, if you feel like life's taking you out. If God's called you, he's not done with you yet. Last one, number four, is the anchor of faith. The anchor of faith. So we've got the anchor of surrender and the anchor of worship and the anchor of mission. We've got the anchor of faith. And he says this, he says, hey, take heart, men, for I have faith in God. I have faith in God. And that is, that it will be exactly as I have been told. Reminds me of a story of a plane that hit some unusual turbulence and it was tossed all over the place. Lightning was striking near. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. No one felt safe. Except there was this little boy that was sitting on the plane and he was sitting with a little notebook and he was drawing a picture of himself climbing on a tree with this nice sun-filled day. There's a passenger woman that was right beside him and she's gripped. I mean, she is gripped on to those, uh, those little handrails right next to him. I mean, she is freaking out, wondering how in the world is this little boy so calm? And so she looks over at the little boy and she says, aren't you scared? He looks up at hers. He puts his little crayon down. He says, nope. And she's like, why not? And he says, my dad's the pilot. My dad's the pilot. Come on, how many know there's going to be storms? There's going to be some storms. And if you're the pilot, you should be scared. But how many know if he's the pilot? If he's the pilot. If he's good, if he can get us through this. If God says you're going to Rome, you're going to Rome. If God told you to start the business, start the business. If God says you're going to make it, you're going to make it. If God says he can heal, he can heal. Come on, if God says that he can do these things, he can do these things. Paul's hope and trust wasn't in a piece of wood. It was in a word of who God said he was and what God said he can do. And I'm here today to tell you that this isn't just a story. This isn't just a message. This isn't just a, a passage of scripture that, that I'm sharing with you. This has been part of Lindsay and I's life story. 
2013, we've got the, the, the worst news no, no parent ever wants to hear, and that is that our youngest son at the time, who was three years old, had congestive heart failure. His, his heart was three times larger than the right side of his heart and then the left side of his heart. Went to three or four different hospitals over the course of 42 days. Doctors told us, your son will have one year to live. Just make the best of it. What do you do in a moment like that? What do you, what do you do? Well, you do these four things right here. I'm not just preaching something to you that I haven't done. Man, I'm telling you, this stuff is what has kept Lindsay and I with where we were. I don't, I don't know if you have kids in here, but if you've ever had kids in the hospital, you're helpless. There's nothing you can do. So guess what? You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender to the Lord, say nothing. There's, God, there's nothing that I can do. I fully trust you, God. You're here in this moment. Worship. Worship was one of the things that was able to get us through. I remember going in New Orleans, being at, the, at, at, at New Orleans Children's Hospital, and my father-in-law lived a couple houses away, and so Lindsay and I would trade out every, every night. We would trade so somebody could get some rest and somebody sleep in ICU. And I remember the little 12-minute drive between the Children's Hospital and my father-in-law's house and just putting on worship and just going, God, I, just, I desperately need you. God, I, Lord, I need you. 2014, we were at, my, my son was at his absolute worst. We did a surgery that had only been done on six kids in the U.S. He was going to be the seventh kid that had this surgery done. We were in St. Louis. It was an absolutely incredible surgery. But I remember as my son sent there, sit there with a, the little ventilator on him, I sent Lindsay off to the ICU, and I'm sitting there with my little four-year-old son, and he's coming out of anesthesia, and he's going, Dad. And he's got the little trach in his throat, the little vent thing in his throat. And I mean, talk about pull your heart out. And so I sang to him what was his favorite song at that time, which was Jesus Loves Me. So I'm sitting, kneeling by, by his bed going, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. What's this next part? They are weak. And as I said those words, I just broke because I realized I wasn't singing that over my son. The father was singing that over me. That in my weakness, he is strong. The anchor of mission. My wife and I have had the opportunity to lead more people to Jesus through our son than I ever have preaching for 20 plus years. I've had more people in the Walmart aisle that I've ministered to than anywhere else because of what I've walked through with our son. God's put us on mission. To, I mean, no, pain is an incredible platform to share the goodness of God. Pain is an incredible, listen, it's a megaphone to a world. It's a megaphone to a world. And then of course, the anchor of faith what, what people most, mostly don't know is the, the, the first day that, that we went into the ICU, my mom quickly rushed, my mom lives here in Lafayette, quickly rushed, rushed to Lake Charles. She bust into the ICU room with a little index card, about this big, and she said, your grandmother wants you to have this. Now, the same grandmother who was with Pastor Jacob in that video, that is a woman of faith. She said, your grandmother, and anytime grandmother wants you to have something, how many go, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And I open up, I, 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 I grab that little card and on that card is Psalms 117 that says, and it says this, Joel shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Now, of course she put Joel's name in. That's not in Psalms, just want y'all to know. <laughs> Joel, I didn't know he was in it. Yeah, okay. And I held on to that. I held on to that. And I held on to that word. Lindsay and I would pray over that pray and speak that over our son and speak that over our son and speak that over our son so our son shouldn't have made it out off of four but y'all just saw my son is 12 years old now 12 years old 12 years old he's not fully healed yet he's not fully healed yet but I still believe all of these things I still hold on to that word I still believe because I mean with the word that God gives us before the storm is the word that I hung in onto in the middle of the storm God wants to give you some words today. And I love that it says that all of these were brought safely. 
Dr. Luke makes sure that we understand that everyone made it safely to the land. It may have been hard, it may have been difficult, it may have been dangerous, but hey, listen, God brought us all safely to the land. Our hope is not in stars, our hope is not in ships, our hope is not in cargo, our hope is not in lifeboats. Come on, our hope is in Jesus and in Jesus alone in this place. So I just wanna do this to end and I'll invite whoever it is that's gonna come up to close. But if you are maybe going through a storm right now or maybe you've been through one but you feel like it's taken some of your hope away, and you just, man, you just need some strength and encouragement. I wanna pray for you. If that's you, I just wanna know who I'm praying for. Would you just shoot your hands up all across this room? And would you stand up just all across this room? Just so many people that are, that are there. Just, just stand right there where you are. It's just been one of those, and I'm just gonna pray. Would you just lift your hands just right there where you are? I believe that God is going to encourage, God's gonna fill, God's gonna refresh, and God is gonna remind you that he's with you. So God, we come to you right now, Lord, as as your people. And God, I pray, Lord, over every person that is standing right now, that God is walking through something that has been difficult, something that has shaken them, something, God, maybe that has has pulled their joy and their, their hope. But God, I pray, Lord, that there would be an anchor of the soul, an anchor of the soul, that in this moment, God, that no matter what they're walking through, God, that you would give them the anchor of surrender. That we say, God, we belong to you. We belong to you. And as your children, you take care of your children. So God, I pray that you would remind them of that. I pray, God, that you would give them the anchor of worship. God, with hands lifted right now, we are reminded, Lord, in this moment, that it's you that we put our trust in. Our worship is not a depiction of how we feel. Our worship is a declaration of our faith that we look to our hill, to the hills. That's where our help comes from. So God, we lift our hands today in surrender and worship to you. God, thanking you for who you are. God, remind us, Lord, that you never waste pain. That everything that we're walking through, God, you can use for your purpose and for your glory and for our good. So God, we are reminded of that today. And lastly, God, I pray that the anchor of faith would be driven deep into the hearts of your people, God. That they would hold on to you. God, that they would hold on to your word. They would hold on to who you are, who you've called them to be, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them faith and encouragement. God, may the faith level rise up in this house to know, God, that you're with them, you're for them, and you're working all things through them. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said.